Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, Sam. How you doing, man? Yo, I am very excited for this podcast and this episode because we have an incredibly special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Greg Thompson. Uh, Greg is an executive that has an incredible track record for operating some of the top businesses in the music industry. Uh, for about the past four years, he's been the president of Maverick. Um, and if you guys aren't familiar with Maverick, y'all slacking. You need to do your homework. Maverick is one of the uh, top, if not the top, management companies in the world and tout some of the world's biggest acts like YouTube, Madonna, The Weeknd, Doja Cat, Brandy, Ty Dolla Sign. The list goes on. They're no joke. Prior to making the jump to, to management and running Maverick, uh, a lot of Greg's experience was in operating at the, high, at the highest of levels across some really incredible record labels. He was the EVP, the Executive Vice President of Capital Music Group, where he led a team of 120 people across their entire portfolio of labels. He's also the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Promo for EMI and Island Def Jam. And what I particularly appreciate about this episode is that he really deconstructs a lot of the key fundamentals to his success and longevity in the, in, in the industry, both in his career, as well as in the careers of the artists that he's been involved in, like U2, Lionel Richie, and all the other incredible acts that he's had the fortune of working with. What do you like, Jordan? What stood out to you? Um, I think I like my favorite part was just how tactical this interview gets. I think when you hear about an executive like him with such a with such a decorated history, you just kind of want to pick his brain and see how much of it you can, how much of his history can help you help you learn and, and grow on your own journey. Um, and I think he does that in really concise and awesome ways with some really great examples that people will be able to learn from. For example, uh, if you're an artist, we talked about what he looks for in an artist before working with them, and he actually used Katy Perry as an example. He talked about her work ethic, and I'll let you guys listen to the episode for the rest, but generally a great story. We talked about how to manage a team and how he's learned a lot from, from sports, how he's learned a lot from, from Phil Jackson, from Pat Riley on managing a team of people like he's managing a team of players. I thought that was a really interesting uh, connection to make. And we also generally talk about the, the music industry as a whole. So at some point we discuss indie labels versus major labels and you know, will they be more indie labels uh, in the coming years? Will there be more major labels? Kind of how does this independent shift, how is it affecting the, the current industry at large? So I think we get into a lot of different things. And I think if you're an artist or a manager, or if you just want to kind of learn how to be a boss, I think he's, I think he's got you covered. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, without any further ado, Mr. Greg Thompson. Greg, what's happening, man? How are you doing today? Uh, good. How are you, man? We're excited to have you on. Um, with with that said, I, I did just kind of want to start. I, I think obviously you've been working in music for a while and are very passionate about the space. So starting on a bit of a, a higher note level, but like what inspires you about working in music and what's, I mean, kept you in this game and, and with, with so much vigor and, and uh, at such a high level? Um, well, I mean, music to me is one of the most powerful universal languages in the world and it can change people's hearts and minds. It can give people a soundtrack to their heart and their soul. Uh, you know, it brings together people with differences. Um, 
it's a it's to me it's the most magical art form that exists that's awesome and when it comes to your experience in the industry i think um I mean, you've worked across a lot of different domains and functions. I mean, on the label side, on the management side, across the board. Um, what, what do you feel have been some of the, the characteristics in your own career that you feel you've really honed in on and, and played to that's enabled you to, to continue to operate at such a high level? Um, you know, I think I've always been a team builder. I've always tried to um, bring together all the key stakeholders. Um, you know, I've worked with a lot of great artists, and um, it's not an accident that several of them over the years have said to me, it takes a village. Um, the ones that are very smart kind of get that, you know, you build a great team around you. Um, so I think, you know, building great teams, and, and I think that one of the keys to success is actually getting people to have a shared vision for what you're all trying to accomplish uh, and, and really clearly understanding that. And when it comes to, I mean, well said, and when it comes to like the, the team and, and managing a team, I mean, that that's no easy task. And I'm sure your experience and ability to manage a team has developed a lot throughout the years. I mean, what are, from a more tactical perspective, when it comes to nurturing and creating a really great team, what are some of the things that you're really conscious of in order to make that happen? Um, I think you got to assess the strengths and weaknesses in all your players. Um, actually, to be honest, uh, I read a lot of sports uh, coaches' books, and I took a lot of learnings from the way uh, guys like Phil Jackson or Pat Riley coached, uh, because I think that people that are great managers as opposed to good managers are the ones that go in and figure out where the strengths and weaknesses are and how the sum of the parts builds a killer team instead of trying to change people that might be great at this but not great at that um when you think of managers under maverick or not under maverick that have done that and been able to kind of build that team and and, and people you think of as, as great managers who who comes to mind for you well, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to call out a specific manager, but I think where a lot of people sort of miss is um, mm -hmm. you got to figure out all the stakeholders at the table, right? And and that includes the business manager, the agent, the label, uh, the person that's you're in business with on merch, anybody that's touching the artist. As a manager, your job is to curate all those players and get them all to see what the plan is, what the strategy is, what the shared vision is, what the artist is trying to accomplish and hold those people accountable to deliver to the best possible result for the role they play for their particular area of responsibility. Right, right. So um, you're kind of answering part of this question now with, uh, you know, teamwork and, and the value of teamwork. But um, what are some other principles and lessons you think have stayed, have remained the same over the course of your career? Um, well, I mean, I've always believed and I will always believe that it starts with great music and a great song. If the songs aren't great, um, you, need, you need two combinations. You need great songs slash music and you need a star and you know there's there's a lot of people that are really great at making really great songs but they just don't have that star quality there's some people that have that star quality but they're not necessarily great at those songs so you have to figure out <laughs> what what you got and how to make it work um you know what 
Yeah, when it comes to that, that star quality, too, I mean, it, it, with un, undoubtedly a lot of that's charisma. But, I mean, can you demystify what you see when you see a star a little bit more? I feel like that'd be really interesting. You know, I, I think um, a star is, it, it can be a star in business, too. You know, it could be a star in people we interact with. But what it is, is it's people that have a certain, I think, charisma about them. They have an energy. They have a buzz. You know, uh, I was talking to someone about, you know, just this comes to mind right now about Miley Cyrus. And anybody that's ever been around Miley, Miley she's a force of nature. I mean, she's just brilliant. She's engaging. She's smart. She's witty. She's got incredible energy. And, you know, you don't have to be a genius to spend 15 minutes with Miley and go, she's got it. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, is, is that something you feel can really be nurtured and developed a lot or it very much is one of those things you either have it or you don't? No, I, I think it can be nurtured and developed. I mean, I think it has to be in you to a certain degree, but I don't think we all wake up, uh, you know, uh, learning how to work a room uh, at two years old. You know, I think, yeah. I think you grow in life and your journey teaches you things, but the difference is some people see it and things click and they get it. You know, I've had a million artists I've worked with where they were very socially awkward and then they kind of found their way. And then all of a sudden it just clicked in for them. Um, and it doesn't mean everybody has to be a schmoozer either. I'm not suggesting that, you know, you can't be a star if you're not, um, you know, Mr. Dynamic personality, funnest guy in the room. That, that's not true. Um, stars come in a lot of stars come in a lot of different packages. Um, so Maverick has, you know, obviously worked with artists and I'm sure you've worked with artists that are kind of like at the beginning of their career. Um, I guess what are some things that you look for? And this is one of, uh, this is one of our patron, uh, Dennis's questions as well. What are some things that you look for when investing in an artist so early on in their career? You kind of bring up star quality here. Um, but also that, you know, they may not be developed in several areas um, by the time you want to take a bet on them or, you know, by the time that you start working with them. So what are the real deal breakers you think um, for kind of taking, taking an, an, an artist in and, and, and working with them? Um, well, I think you have to have that raw ingredient, that raw talent, right? You got to see a, something in there. Uh, and it doesn't mean they have to be the best singer, the best guitar player, the best songwriter. It's just, you, you, you need to, I, I need to feel like there's a gift inside them that needs to be watered and nurtured. Um, but I also am looking for people that have a drive, you know, um, you know, when I met Katy Perry, uh, you know, there was, you know, just her attitude was like, this is it, man. <laughs> like, and you could just see that, you know, she was going to do whatever it took to get a fair shot at this and she had been at it for a long time and a lot of other people would have packed up and gone home and changed careers and uh you know she was literally uh dropped by two or three labels by the time i met her um and she was like she had a fire in her a fire in her eyes and a determination that you know if it didn't happen it wasn't going to be for a lack of her efforts and to me that was like unbelievably exciting to know I had a partner in the journey with an artist like that and a client like that. So how early, how early did you uh, meet her just out of curiosity? Cause Katy Perry before Katy Perry, it sounds, sounds pretty cool. <laughs> um, 
Well, you know, Katie has a, uh, had a tremendous story. I mean, and, you know, you want to talk about someone with a will to succeed and a drive and, and all those it factors. But, you know, even with that, she had been signed and dropped um, by a couple of major labels. Um, and I met her when I joined EMI um, and they had signed her and were had just dropped an EP, but they were really just getting rolling. Um, I think actually when I met her, they were trying to repossess her car, if I remember. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fun. So now that... Go ahead, Jordan. Um, I was just going to say, like, you've obviously seen a lot of artists go from small to big over time. Um, what do you think are some of the factors that contributed to some of their uh, biggest inflection points, just just as artists, whether that's like, um, you know, the way that they took advantage of opportunities or um, certain inflection points in the way they released certain projects? Or um, do you think there's kind of a, a thread that that remains through through artists that are able to kind of get to that get to that level? Um, I think artists that have longevity have longevity because they have a clear vision of themselves, their brand, if you will, um, in the sense of they know who they are and um, they know what they want to do and they know how to evolve their art and their, their, their career um, in an authentic way. Um, they're super in touch with their fan base and very, very conscious of the people that, uh, that have you know, followed them, that have supported them, that have bought tickets and albums and et cetera. Um, and I just think, you know, you, you see that, you know, people that have long careers have those careers for a reason. You know, U2 is U2 for a reason. Um, Madonna, you know, is Madonna for a reason. Um, and I think that also um, there's something inside all those artists, I think, where they never let themselves get too comfortable. They never, ever compromise. Yeah, no, it's really, really interesting. I mean, as a manager, obviously, you're trying to create a lot of connections and opportunities. But I mean, it, it's got to be this delicate balance of really trying to provide a lot of business value, but really nurturing some of those softer intrinsic values uh, of fueling the fire of their success. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like the people management, uh, to an extent, like, I mean, uh, you're supporting and the, the artist tends to be the visionary and you're really working to, to help them execute upon their vision. But how often as a manager do you feel where you need to step into this role to, to, to help nurture those skills and, and get them to a point where they are able to really confidently move forward towards those, those ambitions? Oh, I mean, I think constantly. I think as a manager, your role is to sort of constantly help your client um, and figure out where their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, keep things away from them that aren't necessarily, you know, good for their productivity. Um, you know, some artists like to be, you know, deep into uh, a lot of the data. Some artists want to just know just enough to have a sense of it. Um, and then, you know, also you got to have an ability to understand. Again, I go back to the coaching thing, you know, it's understanding the player, you know, and, and, and they're going to have good games and bad games. Right. And, but what you have to also understand is that you got to be that coach that sometimes says, you know what, just step away. You know, um, you have to you have to have a vision of helping them help themselves. And sometimes, you know, if they get a creative block, you know, 
you got to help them shake it off and step away and, you know, go fishing for a day or, or whatever. Um, so I think a good manager is someone that really tries to minimize the noise and allow the artist to, you know, kind of have a clear mind to focus on their creativity. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And it makes a lot of sense. And in that same vein too, I know there's like no one size fits all approach to management. And um, I mean, a lot of what you just spoke to are just good general principles that you can apply, but to, to dive deeper when it comes to helping develop and nurture and grow artists, how does the approach differ from an artist that's a super early stage where you're trying to get from like zero to 10 versus artists that are, are really on this kind of like A-list trajectory and helping take them from like 10 to 100? What are the specific things you're, you're really focused on in those two uh, general categories or two different stages? Well, I mean, I think the um, work ethic is always a thing to focus on. You know, um, you, you know, artists have to have the work ethic to, to understand that, you know, you got to stay in the game. Um, and the bigger the spotlight on you, uh, the more pressure there is to, to, to be able to, you know, stay, stay in there and, and, and be attentive to your fans and be aware of, you know, the way your music's reacting or how people are in, you know, digging your live show or not digging your live show. Um, I always think that, um, I think that, you know, you got to be, the best artists are students of the game, right? Best artists know, they, 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 they sit there and they pay attention. They, they, they really look around while they're on stage and understand how the crowd's reacting to them. They, they really, uh, I think, get the, um, the idea of, you know, be a student of what you're doing and, um, Clearly, you know, you should make art that's great, not compromise, but it's also important to be realistic about how it's being received. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then when it comes to the, um, like those are, are good principles across the different stage, uh, regardless of a, where the artist is at the stage of their career. But like when an artist is in the earliest stages, how are you helping them build their fan base? And then when it, it shifts towards that point where they're really trying to scale their brand to the next level, um, what, what becomes the focus at that point? And really, what are the two different approaches for these different stages? Well, I think in the early stages, you're trying to build community. You're trying to build a fan base. You're trying to get people to discover, right? And so that's a really hard phase. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, there's an old adage, you know, if you're really great, let's assume everybody's equal on the talent side, getting the first hundred tickets sold might be harder than getting the first thousand or the first thousand might be easier than the first 10,000, right? Like in other words, when you have momentum, if the, if the, if the music is great, if the art is great, uh, it's a little, it's, it's a different game. I wouldn't say, I was going to say it's a little easier, but I don't think that's necessarily true. But um, yeah, you know, just cause you're a super talented guy and everybody in your high school thinks you're awesome. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not enough, you know, so building a fan base is really hard. And a lot of that I think is also, um, artists associated with other great artists, um, building community around you, um, doing the right things, playing the right live gigs, getting the right opening slots. Um, and, and also, you know, we obviously live in a world where how you manage your social footprint has a big, big, big piece of that. Yeah. 
a thousand percent. I think, I think, but you know what people often miss is when you're a big superstar, you know, um, it is also really hard to keep crushing it every day at that level and to keep, you know, there's always someone looking to knock you off, you know, um, and you know, you age up a little and there's someone younger underneath you. So, um, you know, I, I can tell you from, you know, I, I had the privilege of working with people like you too. And those guys, they hold themselves to the highest standards in the world. And they, I think they're harder on themselves than anybody else. You know, they, they will not compromise. And you know what, when you go to a U2 show, you're never disappointed. Um, you brought up this concept of community in the first um, you know, from zero to 10 to 10 to 100. And I think that's something that people overlook a lot. I think um, a lot of artists out here, they want to get uh, fans or they want to get listeners, but they aren't necessarily interested in like nurturing a community, which is kind of what, what that is, especially at the beginning stages. Um, so what are some tactics you think could help artists kind of in their beginning of their career or that you've seen or that you've done um, kind of help nurture that community? And on the flip side of that, when you are on such a large scale um, and at that point, you know, each fan is, uh, is, you know, one of a million as opposed to, you know, one of 100 or, or 1,000. How do you think community engagement shifts at that point? Well, I, it's sort of two things, but, you know, because it's two sizes, right? But I think, right. you know, you, you know um, I think you got to, you know, you can't obsess with your fans, like interacting with every fan because, you know, you're also going to have haters that are going to throw you off and stuff like that. But, but I think, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about the world we live in is everybody has this feeling that they have such a personal relationship with their favorite artist or their favorite so-and-so, right? And artists have to figure out how to interact with their audience via, I think, social media, uh, via live shows, via, you know, ways to touch them. Um, and I think that, it gets, you know, tricky, but I think that there's a lot of ways to interact with the audience and make them feel part of the process. You know, often artists nowadays will, will take you behind the curtain. will play you a little bit of a demo that's not released. They'll, they'll include the audience. Um, and I think the great live acts really understand how to make every person, whether it's a club or a stadium, feel a real personal connection to the artist when they're on stage. And those are the great artists, right? Right. The first person that comes to mind when I think of that is uh, Bruce Springsteen. I think at his shows, people are engaged as if they're like on stage with him. <laughs> Normally, my uh, my girlfriend and her mother are like huge, huge fans. Um, but in terms no, of... It's, uh, a, it's a By the way, it's a great point because I remember yeah. as a kid, you know, my older brother and his girlfriend, you know, saying like, you know, you got to get into Springsteen. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, whatever, you know, and, and then they're like, you know, okay, we're going to take you to a Springsteen show. And to your point, I mean, I, once I saw him live once I was all in, right. He's a natural. He's a natural. And uh, it, it seems, it seems very conversational between him and the audience. And I, I think if you can somehow get to that level in every, in every area, social media, shows however you connect to your fans if you can make it seem like a conversation i think i think that's normally at least for me what engages me the most um but yeah um 
Cool. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit to more into like the management process. Um, I was a manager for a few different years and, or for a few years. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the, the things that I kind of ran into that was an issue is that obviously like managers are kind of on the business side of things, but they work with creatives. Right. So generally creativity for a lot of, for a lot of artists is a little more disorganized because you ride on inspiration as opposed to uh, planning. You know, obviously you can plan studio sessions, but if somebody has a, if somebody has an idea for a song right then and there, it kind of has to come out. So it's a little bit different than art, you know, managers waking up at, at 9am or whatever and going to the office and that sort of thing. So how do you develop, develop processes that make the management process efficient and productive without stifling like the artist's creativity and spontaneity. So I'll kind of give you an example of that. Um, when I was a manager, I called and texted my client like way too much. And sometimes where he was in a, in a, in a studio session and I would call him and text him because my, my business mindset was like, Oh, this kind of needs to be done. Let me hit him right now to get it over with. Um, and I kind of learned, to run the waves of his day and communicate with him whenever it was best for him. So um, I guess, I guess in, on your side of things, how do you, you know, kind of bring structure um, and, and efficient processes to a field that's inherently uh, disorganized just by working with artists themselves? Well, a couple of things, first of all, to your point about creative, you know, some of the greatest records in the world were written in hotel rooms and tour buses. Right. Um, you know, um, so uh, inspiration for artists comes all over the place, you know. Um, so I think as a manager, you're there to do the business of the artist and you're there to manage the world of the artist and minimize. So like I like to think of it as if you're a good manager, you know how to organize and minimize. And so you're organizing the world around the artist. Mm -hmm. And you're minimizing the amount of bullshit that the artist actually has to deal with. And you're right. You know, if you have a good relationship with your client, you also have a sense of, you know, my artist, you know, some artists, Hey man, I'll do eight hours of press in a single day. Other artists like I can't do press for in a couple hours. I run out of shit to say, I, I'm not inspired, you know? So a good manager understands the nuances of his clients and how to best accomplish the goals that need to be achieved so the artist has the best chance for success, but do it in a way that the artist feels, you know, good about it. So, you know, artists aren't meant to be business people. <laughs> artists are meant to be creatives, you know. Um, but there's a business that needs to be done. Uh, it is the music business. <laughs> So you organize and minimize the amount of uh, stuff the artist has to do. And then I think also a lot of times good managers take the time to explain to uh, their clients why they're doing things and what's important and probably sometimes make it clear that this is the impact of you doing this. And if you don't choose to do it, it's this. A lot of times I think you got to also put the decision back on them. Right. That was actually going to kind of lead me to my next question, which is how do you how do you generally go about communicating with artists? I mean, I, I, I don't do it the same way with everyone. It's obviously no size, no, you know, no one size fits all similar to, to the people you interact with at your job or your family members or that sort of thing. Um, but I do think that interacting with artists and kind of reaching them on that level takes a skill. Um, but is there anything that 
there's anything that you've learned over your career that um, you feel like has been able to, to be a mainstay in how you interact with artists? Um, I think you interact with everybody differently, whether it's an artist or a friend or colleagues, you know, um, you know, also some artists are very nocturnal. Other artists are not, you know, um, some people don't want to be dealing with business things randomly. They want it organized and let's have a meeting and we're going to rip through the agenda. Um, so, I, I can't give you a one-size-fit-all answer to that because I don't think that's the way it works. I think artists are people. You got to figure out what makes them tick, what their comfort zone is, how best to uh, download information to them, and um, you know what's their attention span for that kind of stuff, and then prioritize what you're going to do with that time where they're ready to focus. Right. Absolutely. And then another question I kind of have for. Um for, for generally managers is, um, you know, how do you, how do you ride that line of really fulfilling this artist's vision, but at the same time, giving them advice that will value their career. Um, so in particular, butting, I'm thinking of situations where you may butt head with butt heads with a client on uh, what the next step may be. How do you, how do you sort of, how do you sort of navigate the realm of, you know, this is right for you, even if, you know, they may not see it immediately. Well, I think that, there's a couple pieces to that. You have to, first of all, I always view it as they're my boss. Okay. Right. So, um, and I also look at it as, look, I'm going to explain this to you and I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. Ultimately it's your decision. Um, you know, I had the privilege at one point in my life to, to work with uh, Lionel Richie who gets it more than probably anybody. It's why he's still going after all these years. Right. And, I just remember him saying, I can't even remember the context of how it came up, but he's like, you should just, he, he was giving me advice on talking to an artist. He said, just explain to him, hey, you can do this, you can do this. It's your career. So if you want to win, my advice is you should do this. If you don't really care about winning, do what you want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's ultimately their choice, right? But, but I, I think, Sometimes, too, you got to frame it that way for an artist to go, okay, it's my decision, and I'm going to do something I don't want to do, but at least it was my choice. You know, I think yeah. some managers start to talk to their artists like they're uh, inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. Yep, I've definitely seen that. That's how you get fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, that's awesome. And I think we're definitely grateful to have gone deep into the artist management side, but also curious because I know you have tons of experience working with different record labels. Um, from your perspective, I mean, what were the pros and cons just in your personal career and journey of working on both sides of the table there? Like the, the pros and cons for you personally working at a record label versus uh, kind of on the, the management side of the business now? Well, I mean, working at a record label is an incredible experience. And, you know, the camaraderie that you have with a big team like that is, um, is exciting. And, you know, um, if the culture is great, um, the, the idea of sharing those kind of wins with everybody um, can be really great. And um, I, I think that, um, you know, the label world, the, the, the label, there's a lot that can be learned. Um, you know, uh, for me, you know, as I came up, you know, from the street to national jobs, to vice presidents, to, you know, eventually running companies, 
you know, you got to see all the pieces and how they come together. And um, that's tremendous education. Um, but as the business sort of shrunk a little, um, I think that the artist development piece of it became tougher and tougher for the major label system. Not to say they don't develop artists, because they do all the time. Interscope just did an amazing job on Billie Eilish, you know. Um, so it happens. But what I'm saying is that the cool thing on the management side is you're like, you're in the mix of every piece of it. And so uh, for me, I just found that, you know, really attractive. And, and really, you know, you can have so much more uh, impact if you have the knowledge to know how to put all the different pieces together and drive the vision. And, uh, you know, there's great managers like John Landau, you know, was with Bruce Springsteen all these years. And, you know, I think he, he really understood how to take what Bruce wanted and let Bruce focus on being Bruce Springsteen, but yet, you know, manage one of the most storied careers ever in music, you know, so people do it very well. And, um, yeah. Yeah. No, very insightful. When it comes to, uh, having been on the, on the record label side, I mean, I know when you're a manager, there's a major labels and record labels in general may have a lot of different resources at their disposal, but they're not necessarily, uh, being deployed across every artist every time they're releasing a song. So having been on both sides of the table, once again, What's your advice for managers that are trying to make sure they're able to effectively nurture and grow their relationship with an existing label partner so that way they can really get all the support those labels have to offer? Um, labels are in the business of winning. They have a lot of artists that are signed. The artists that deliver great music, have a strong work ethic, and do what they say or say what they do, whatever you want to say, you know, um, uh, they tend to do well. Um, and, you know, um, I think a, a good manager understands how to work the building, um, understands how to be pragmatic about it. it ter it's tremendously helpful if you, you know, were in the major label system and in a record label for years um, to be able to plug your artist in and understand um, and have some insight into how the building works. And I think the big problem is a lot of managers and artists like uh, they, they get too, uh, I don't know if emotional or personal about it, but it's like um, you're not the only artist in the building, you know, and you're not maybe the superstar artist that's, you know, generating 25% of the revenue for that company that year, you know, so you got to get real about it, you know, and um, when you're up to bat, just make sure you swing that thing as hard and fast as you can and, you know, hit a good ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That uh, makes a lot of sense. When it comes to um, like core elements in a label partnership, I mean, what do you feel are the most, uh, and I think it's, what's interesting too, is that the, the role of a record label just continues to have to evolve as the market continues to develop and change. Like, what do you feel are, are the most like valuable elements of the, the best label artist partnerships? Like where, where do you feel the best labels are providing and firing on all cylinders to create the most value for the best artists? Um, you know, I think the best labels, um, you know, really take the time to understand why they sign the artist, who that artist is, how can they help that artist? Um, some artists 
need more A&R help than others. Some artists have the songs and just need the, the great producers, the mixers. Um, some artists need, you know, help with all of it. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's about understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your label and going in and taking full advantage of all those things. And, um, then just augmenting what needs to be filled in around the missing pieces. Yeah, no, for sure. And one interesting thing too, that it seems has been happening a lot. And I mean, there's definitely nothing new per se. I mean, historically a lot of different like imprints with labels and like JVs happening today. We're seeing different like emerging management companies develop a great roster of acts and then sign a JV with a label. I mean, it, it seems like both management companies and record labels often grow through like joint ventures or, or acquisition and partnering with different artists. With that said, there is and does tend to be this like growing movement of artists that want to to be indie and stay indie um, and not necessarily sign with a, a like a major, if you will, even if it is through some sort of like JV deal. Do you see a world where indie labels that don't have JVs or any sort of back end partnership with major labels will be able to take over a bigger market share than they have now collectively? Or, or do you feel I it's- do. I, no, I, I think that, um, I think that we've shifted, you know, there was a point where there was a lot of record labels, right. And, um, but you know, distribution, uh, promotion, um, global marketing, all those things were really hard to do if you're a small company. So it just became advantageous. And, um, you know, I still think that there, there, there's some challenges for an Indian on, you know, that, but, you know, I can put a record out tomorrow and it's available on Ghana and India, India. It's on, you know, Deezer in France. It's on, you know, Spotify all over the world, you know, so distribution is a lot easier, you know? Um, and so I think that, I do think that indie labels will prosper. I think joint ventures will be more and more. Uh, and I think the majors may, um, you know, find themselves uh, facilitating a lot of, uh, uh, of smaller, you know, operations that just need muscle or money um, once in a while. And, um, you know, there's, there's some really, you know, I've, I've worked very closely with the, the big loud guys in Nashville who crush it and they're completely independent label. I don't think people even realize it. Um, so the, the, I think independence, um, and joint ventures will continue to prosper and grow. And, um, you know, I think, uh, the big majors will, will find their place in, in that too, in the sense of people may get something to this point and really decide that, you know, partnering with somebody that has a global marketing team, um, has certain upside and, they might at that time decide to partner, you know, just depends. Right. Do you think, um, cause it, it, most of the independent, independent, um, labels I've sort of seen recently that at least that I've noticed, um, they do have those JVs. Do you think, do you think we'll see more of that and less of actually fully independent labels or? No, I think you'll see both. I, I, I think, okay. um, I think there'd just be a growth in, um, smaller independent labels um you know there, there's a difference try, between to me between an independent label and a joint venture too um, right you know and but you know no listen there's a lot of really talented guys running major labels that are great talent scouts you know 
look at guys like John Janik or uh, you know Ron Perry at Columbia. I mean, these are good music guys. They're going to continue to go find and sign great artists. Uh, I think, but I think the playing field is is in a better position than it's been in a long time for everybody to have a shot. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Sam. And and yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned uh, talent scouting and finding great talent. I mean. Um, it, from your perspective, how much, there's no doubt that also, I mean, just given the digitization of everything and the ability to, just, to kind of track all these different data points, there's a lot of software. I know there's some like public consumer tech as well as some proprietary software that different labels are using when it comes to being able to try and decode the numbers, if you will. Like when it comes to this like battle of like data versus ear, like do you feel like, um, I mean, there's it's important to look at both or do you often still able to kind of like lead with ear and, and support with data or where do you kind of sit on, on that and trying to marry the two in an effective and productive way? Um, you know, I've always been a grain of salt guy. And what I mean by that is I take everything with a grain of salt, right? So if you have some data, I want to look at it. You know, if you have something that's great, I want to hear it. Um, you know, I, I don't think I have a golden ear. Um, I think I have a trained ear. I think I've been at it a long time. I think I have certain instincts. I also think uh, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm, I'm not that good at, you know. Um, but I think uh, the smart thing is to use a little bit of both, you know, um, because there's things you can't see in the data. There's things you can't touch and feel. You know, when you meet someone, you kind of know. Uh, you know, or you see someone who they might be a good singer, but you know, they can be a great singer, you know? Um, so I think you got to kind of use everything that you have in front of you to make the most informed decision possible. And that's probably a lot of data and a little bit of gut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, this is probably one of the last kind of, um, excited to dive back into your career, but you did mention having the, the, like this trained ear. So when you think about like having a trained ear, you've seen a lot of hits. You've probably seen a lot of songs that you may have thought were going to be hits that didn't necessarily become hits, but through the years as, as you've continued to test and refine your ear and um, like, what are the different components or elements of a song that to you are, are signals that this song has some serious potential? Um, hook, <laughs> melody, um, I always like a great story. Um, I think, um, I think the most powerful records are records that speak to people. In other words, I think when people really lock into a song is when they hear, um, uh, something being said that either speaks to a feeling they have inside themselves or speaks to their life, um, you know, or like sort of capture something, you know, um, yeah. But it's not, again, it's, you know, the beautiful thing about music is uh, it's a blank canvas and people paint all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different genres, sounds, and, and you know, you just kind of got to have a feel for um, what, what you think works. Also, I think, look, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm the guy who can go like, you know, I, there's so many talented A&R guys in the world, right? But if you have a record that's, you know, two thirds of the way there, I can kind of get a feel of whether I think that's, you know, on the right track or not. But listen, by the way, there's songs that people 
would have thrown out with the garbage that ended up on TikTok and are now the biggest streaming songs in the world. So, right. you know, you show me somebody who can tell you 100% of the time whether something's a hit or not, I show you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, cool. So I kind of want to shift gears to your career a little bit, just because, um, you know, the career that you've had in the music industry isn't just impressive, but even just as long as you've been in it, it is impressive in itself. Um, so I kind of want to go back to one of the first inflection points that you think you had in your career, uh, where you were really proud of yourself, one of your first major accomplishments and kind of what brought you to that point and, and what are the principles that you think you stuck to that allowed that to happen? Um, oof. first inflection points. Um, or just major kind of career inflection points doesn't necessarily have to be the, the very first. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny cause I had a very interesting career. Like I started out when there was record stores and, you know, did radio for a while, realized I was going to be terrible at it. Um, <laughs> you know, started doing radio promotion and that, you know, I, I had some great bosses along the way. Uh, some people that taught me some good stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you pick up things on your journey, right? You pick up, uh, you, know, you know, Daniel Glass taught me, you know, a lot of things about, you know, clients and being able to handle things, you know. L.A. Reid taught me the value of a song, you know. Sylvia Rohn taught me you gotta, like, have the, you, the willingness to fail, but make decisions, you know, and go for it, you know. And so I think that, you know, I think for me that I just never have taken success for granted. If anything, mm. my problem is, you know, um, I, I, I never really stopped to celebrate the win. <laughs> you know, mm. I'm always worried about, you know, well, we could get it further. What's the next single? What are we going to do with it? You know, so, um, you know, those are sort of my driving points that keep me in this game. Right, right. And you kind of mentioned people that, that taught you different things. Um, you know, Ellie Reed, Sylvia Rohn. What are some what is some career advice that you think has kind of stuck with you, whether whether it's from those people or other mentors that you've had along the way? Um, you know, I think uh the career advice is, you know, think big picture, think long term. Um, you know, understand what your your role is and what you're being asked to do and have a you know, big picture perspective to it, but also have the ability to tear it apart and figure out all the minutia that goes into success, all the steps that you have to, you know, accomplish to get, um, whether you're managing, whether you're running a label, whatever, you know, um, and just understand, I think understanding the journey uh, and really stepping back and having a clear vision of it and then figuring out well, you know, if I have to get from here to there, what, what roads do I have to take? And what, you know, what do I need? You know, I'm, I'm being, you know, metaphoric about it, but you know, it's like, that's what people often, people, people just don't think it through or they don't think about all the minutia and the pieces that have to come together to win. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, one of my, one of my bosses at my last company, um, I was kind of asking, talking about this with him too. And he was like, he, he owns a management company and he was kind of like, yeah, I think, I think a lot of being a good manager is, uh, you know, 
asking the right questions when presented with a problem, making sure you have all of the information and then just figuring out the incremental steps to get from point A to point B to point C. And it sounds, it sounds simple, but literally it changed my entire career. Cause at one point it was like, you know, how do we get this artist on such and such a, a, a playlist? Or how do we get this artist to number one on the billboard chart? And it's like, okay, before that, you have to ask so many questions about, um, you know, what that direction may look like. And there's so, so, so many incremental steps in order to get to that point. Um, so I definitely think that that's good advice for this, especially, but generally for, for goal setting. I think uh, this is a business where people are always looking for the silver bullet. Right. And, you know, I'm not a believer. I believe that, you know, uh, you know, you hear people say all the time, it's not brain surgery. Yeah, you're right, by the way. Thank God, because there's a bunch of people in this business that I wouldn't let any of them cut my head open. But, um, you know, but what I do think is hard work, determination, focus, really thinking about where you're going and how you get there, and, and then be ready to do the work, man. That's what it's about. A lot of this game is do the work. Yeah, for sure. And in that same vein, too, I mean, one other thing you, you alluded to a bit earlier, too, is being able to, to make decisions quickly, but be okay with failure and, and use that as an opportunity to learn and grow. So I'm curious, too, because I know there's also this, like, graph that it's like a success meme, if you will. It's like what people think success looks like, and it's like a straight line between point A and B, and then, like, what it actually looks like. And it's just this, like, crazy, like, scribble diagram. So from your perspective, I mean, I know we spoke to some of these big moments, but where are some of the challenging moments in your career that, that may have been really tough? I mean, I know you alluded to radio and that it seemed like that necessarily, it wasn't necessarily for you. Like, what are other moments where that determination, that hard work and that work ethic really did help you carry through what might have been a more challenging time? Well, I did radio promotion for a long, long time. I was, uh, you know, I think a lot of people in the business associate me with radio promotion. Um, and that is a thankless job <laughs> that is you know <laughs> let, let's see i'll give you some quick math so you know there's 10 record company guys at the biggest radio station in new york z100 right and they're all in the lobby and they all got let's say you know five records in their bag that they want to talk about okay so that's 50 records that they, they 50 records that all, all these guys think the station should play the station probably only plays 30, 35 currents to start with, and they're going to add two or three songs that week. So when you start doing the math, it, it, it's a, it's a, to do promotion, you have to be really good at taking rejection and shaking it off and keep going. You know, uh, I used to say to the promotion guys, you know, our job begins when the radio station says no. Um, you know, it's, uh, but I think that, that attitude can also work across all kinds of things. You just, you know, you, you have to be ready to do the work. One size doesn't fit all, you know, not everything's going to be a success, but you also can't be paralyzed by fear not to make decisions and not to try, you know? Um, I always like that saying, like, you know, um, I, you know, people would say like, well, you know, you could get up and try and fail, or you could just not get up, which means you'll definitely fail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I believe you take a swing and, uh, you know, better to take the swing and miss than not to have swung at all. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, cool. 
I think that's uh I think that's all I have for for today. Sam, you got any got any uh got any more? We I think we hit all the hit all the big ones here. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh really enjoyed the conversation. I think tons of very uh, effective and impactful principles that have really worked well throughout your career, but uh, are very replicable for people to apply within whatever challenges and opportunities they're tackling. So really appreciate the uh, the time and having you on today, and excited for everything you continue to do, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having really me, guys. Appreciate really appreciate you. it. No problem. That was a great episode. What'd you think, man? I thought it was awesome. I think learning from those people and learning from executives in general is, is awesome, but definitely learning from somebody who's had as long as a career as he's had on top of being an executive for a long, as long as he's had, I think a lot of the things he said were, were priceless and valuable. And I think it'll be it'll, for our listeners. I think it'll be really important to, to not just listen to it one time, but two times, three times as you're going throughout your career. I think this will be a conversation to, to go back on and, and take notes on. So um, I'm definitely glad that, that we got him on. Um, I think his experience and, you know, the things he's been able to do in the music industry, I think there's a lot to learn from it. And I'm, I'm super glad that we were able to pull it off. And I know you and I, Sam, were a little bit nervous before we went into it and for good reason, because this, this guy's clearly the man. So we got to see that on full display. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, uh, I mean, what I appreciated most was he did a great job of really deconstructing a lot of the, the, the core principles that have led to the success in his career, as well as the, the different labels and artists and managers he's worked with. And I, I think, although very insightful, even alluded to it himself, he's like, there's no silver bullets. And a lot of the core principles are, are these foundational principles of success that, that we may have had in passing conversation with others. And I think he's just a right. testament to that. If you're able to really hone in on the fundamentals and execute upon those, building a community, working hard, nurturing that, that star power, that, that charisma, having great music, great products, um, all those different elements, creating the structure of a great team, playing to the strengths and the weaknesses of people around you, treating your, your artists as if they're your boss, right? I think all these different factors and all these different tactics, I think I just want to encourage you guys as listeners not to just brush them off, but to, to really take this stuff to heart. Because even though he had a, a good way of deconstructing things in, in, a, in a simple manner, um, the, the, the excellence is in the application. So I want Absolutely. to encourage you guys to, to make sure you, you take note, reflect, act move right. accordingly do do what he does never stop learning you know he learned from so many different people in the music industry for so long um he never was too good for any advice so this is this is the this will be you know one of the first people that you should take advice from for sure <laughs> yeah well uh we appreciate y'all for tuning in as always if you haven't already you know what we're about to plug the reviews this is a great <laughs> episode Leave us a review. It helps us continue to, to dial in on what y'all appreciate most as well as help get this in front of more people that might find value. Um, and until next time, we out.